To start off, I just want to say what what a year it's been, 2020. There are millions of memes out there talking about 2020 and all the curveballs that it came with. Um, and it really got me thinking <clears throat> with everything going on from um, everything going on in America and also globally with coronavirus and um, even here in Korea with the crazy flooding going on. And um, of course, uh, with things going on in Lebanon, with the huge um, explosion that went on, there's a lot going on in this world. And it, whenever things go on uh, globally, we want to take a step back, especially in the place of prayer. And when things go on on the external, when things are happening outside of us, it is it should be an automatic. Um, arrow pointing to the pointing to the secret place. When things go on in the external, I believe it's God's voice saying, "Let's take some time to examine the internal." Um, I believe that um, our church we have been emphasizing in 2020, and I believe that this is really led by God. We've been emphasizing prayer and the Word of God, being a community, being a church that. Um, is deeply rooted in the truth and the word of God and also in the place of prayer. These are our anchors. Um, Pastor Susie said that word. That was a word that was highlighted to me this morning as well. Anchors. When all these things are going on in the external, these are the things that anchors us in the truth and not only keeps us safe, but builds resilience in the church. And that's what God is doing at our church. Amen? Yeah, so with that said, um, I do want to start off a new sermon series. But it's interesting because this is a three-part sermon series, but it's actually continuing on the topic of prayer. We recently finished a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. And we went really deep into when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus gave these guidelines and we went week by week very deep into it. And it was a powerful time on prayer. But we felt that as a staff, we want to continue preaching on prayer. Because we need to learn how to pray, especially in times like these. So, in this case, I want to ask you guys, um, take notes. If um, you're a note taker. Uh, that's awesome. Trek along with me. I don't have slides today, so please pay attention. <laughs> um, but we are going to be going into John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'm going to preach the first five verses today. And after that next week, um, Pastor Susie is going to preach on the middle portion. And then the following week, Pastor David is going to finish it off with the last portion of John chapter 17. Why are we preaching on John 17 is recently we finished a sermon series on, like I shared, the Lord's Prayer. The title there says, in, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It is actually um, the disciples' prayer, if we want to be technical about it. Actually, I don't believe that Jesus actually prayed this prayer. He taught this prayer. But he didn't really pray this prayer. Why? Because he's perfect. He wouldn't pray, forgive us our sins. 
right? He wouldn't pray these things. This is the disciples' prayer. And there's a lot we learned here. But John 17 is actually, in the Bible, it's the longest recorded prayer that was prayed by Jesus himself. It is actually the real, technically, the Lord's prayer. Not that the other one is not important. It's, it's for all of us. But John 17 is the Lord's prayer. And so why are we preaching this? I've shared this before. But when we examine how Jesus prayed, there's a lot that can be caught there. You know, you can tell a lot about a person when you examine what they pray. Right? Um, None of us have uh, the opportunity to really do that. I don't know, maybe married couples, but can you imagine with me just eavesdropping in someone's prayer life? Can you imagine if you had like a secret microphone in someone's prayer closet, like Pastor Susie's prayer closet? And I, I know it's kind of creepy, right? But if you, just for one month, you listen to her prayer life, you can really find out a lot about her. You can really discover what is on the forefront of her heart, the greatest desires of her heart. Uh, there were times when, even back in the day, our church, we used to have prayer meetings called Friday Fire. And we go to pray, and we're praying, and we're interceding for all these topics. And there were times, when, I don't know if you guys can relate, but there were times when I would sit next to someone, and then we would be praying a topic, and then all of a sudden, something about the way that they pray, I'm just like, oh, that's, that's good. Oh, like, yeah, amen, amen. And then I stopped praying. <laughs> and I'm just like agreeing with their prayer. I'm like, yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah, what they, amen, yeah, what they said, you know? And there's something about... Um, that happens sometimes, and I'm like, man, I bet you this person's prayer life is so vibrant. I bet you there are things on the forefront of their heart that is so evident when you just listen in on their prayer. Why am I sharing this is this. In John chapter 17, let me just set the stage and paint the picture here. What's going on is Jesus, right after the Last Supper... Right after he washes the disciples' feet. Right after he begins to share with his disciples, I've got some sad news for you. I'm actually leaving you guys. But don't worry, because the Comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And it's better that I leave, that the Holy Spirit comes. I'm leaving, guys. And then right after this last night, they go off and then Jesus... He begins to pray. Who is he praying to? He begins to dialogue and pray to the Father. And I believe that he's praying in a way that he wants the disciples to eavesdrop. He wants the disciples to hear. Have you ever met those? uh, I've done this. (laughs) I've done this too. Have you ever met those people who are like, when they pray, they're like preaching in their prayer? Because they want everybody else to kind of catch their heart. You know, only, only Jesus can really get away with that and that we can really listen in on what he's preaching in his prayer that's what he's trying to, that's what he's doing right now he's praying this prayer his last prayer that he wants his disciples to hear john 17 john 17 this prayer is called 
If you look at the title in your Bibles, the title of this prayer is called, it's very interesting. It says, the high priestly prayer. Can we say that together? One, two, three. The high priestly prayer. What's up with this fancy title? Why is this prayer called a high priestly prayer? And uh, let me just share a little teaching here. Once a year for the Jewish people, once a year there was a special day called the Day of Atonement. Can you guys say Day of Atonement? On this day, there was a high priest that went into the temple and they would make animal sacrifices to atone for the sins, to take on the sins of themselves and the whole nation to, you know, to atone for the sins of the nation. That's what this day was known for, the Day of Atonement. And see, what happens is this. The high priest, and you can read about this in Leviticus, before they would go and make sacrifices, you know what they would do? They would pray. They would intercede. And there are three prayers that they would do. They would pray for themselves, for their consecration. And then they would pray for the fellow priests. And then they would pray for the nation of Israel. This model here is so important. Why? Because Jesus himself, the outline of John 17, he first prays for himself. And then he prays for his, fellow, his disciples. And then he prays for the whole church. That's why Jesus right here is called the prayer of the great high priest. And I think that's pretty amazing. Because the big difference between Old Testament high priests and Jesus, our great high priest, the big difference is Jesus is not only the high priest, he is, he's also the sacrifice. He's also the sacrifice. So here he is. When we open up John 17, we enter in with our great high priest. And some scholars and, and, and theologians, they called John 17, they called this chapter the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. They call this chapter the Holy of Holies in the New Testament. And here it is. Jesus Christ, He is walking into this time. He is approaching the Father. And He's about to dialogue with the Father. The longest recorded dialogue in the Bible between the Son and the Father. And He's, enter he's entering in into His presence. And right there, that ground becomes holy ground. Where the disciples are listening in to that super sacred moment. Right before Jesus is arrested, betrayed, and crucified. It's an important prayer. So, to say once again, the reason why we're preaching this. There's a lot to be learned here. There's a lot to be caught here when it comes to the heart of Jesus. If we want to grow in our prayer lives, not only is it just mythology... Methodic, you know, methods, right? And, and, and sequence and, and how we should pray, which we just learned. But it's the heart. We need to be praying with the heart of Christ. And that's what this sermon series is about. So let me read for us John 17. And just imagine with me. Imagine you're one of the disciples just listening in. Here we go. John 17, 1 through 5. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words... 
he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said this, Father, Abba, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I once had with you before the world existed. Amen. This is a very emotional prayer. This prayer is charged with the emotions of Jesus. He's not just spitting theology to his Father. There's so much of his heart that is being relayed here. It says here, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. At this time, the disciples are watching him. He literally lifted up his eyes to heaven. What does that mean? Let me read this verse in the previous chapter. What Jesus says to his disciples. John 16, 28. He says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying this. It's time to go back home. I'm going back home. As you look toward heaven, is heaven a place? No. Heaven is a person. Heaven is being in the presence of the Father. Heaven is being in the presence of God. Would we want to be in heaven without God's presence? No. Because that's not heaven. That's not heaven. He looks toward home. He looks toward the throne room. He looks toward the Father. And after 33 plus years of living here on this earth, he's a bit homesick. Because Jesus knew the sweetness of what it was like before he came here down on earth. He's excited to go back. Soon to be reunited. And he looks to his father and he says, I'm almost done. I'm almost done with the assignment that you've given me. And he says this, Father, Abba, Father, the hour has come. The time has finally come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He's saying, Father, he's, he's communicating that relationship that he has, that intimate relationship he has, the perfect communion. And he says, the time has come. All scattered throughout the book of John, there's a lot of phrases that says, the hour has not yet come. It's not yet time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Over and over again. And finally, he says, Father, the time has come. The most significant moment has come. The main reason why I came here on earth, that hour has finally come. The climax of his mission has come. And he says, the main request in this prayer, in this first part, glorify your son. 
What does that mean? Father, time has come. Glorify me. <laughs> Glorify your son. What, what does that mean? You know, um, I love sports. And I've given a lot of, a lot of uh, sports references. But when it comes to professional sports, there's this event where many players, if, they've, if they have proven themselves, and they, if they have you know, won championships and made a name for themselves, they are inducted into what you call the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. NBA players, football players, like all these players, they have this ceremony and they are voted in and inducted into this Hall of Fame. And at this Hall of Fame, they are celebrated. They are honored. Their, they, their, their career is highlighted. There's a tribute video showing just all that they have done. And it's their time to shine. Even in award ceremonies, the Grammys or other award ceremonies, the Golden Globes, whatnot. It's their time to shine. Everything is put on display, all that they have done. This is what it means when they are glorified. They are glorified. You see, you and I can be glorified. It doesn't mean that you and I will be necessarily worshipped. Similar to the word praise. Right? About a decade ago, I had the experience of my father passing away. And there was a time, it was such a bittersweet moment where I had to give a eulogy. I had to stand in front of his body and amongst a lot of people, I had the honor of giving a speech. And it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. But it was also the sweetest. You know what the goal of that eulogy was for me? I wanted the world to know how amazing my father was. I wasn't going to stand there and talk about all the mistakes that he's done. At this eulogy, it was my privilege to just share with everyone there and glorify my father. Show everyone his worth. How much he meant to me. To glorify is this. To expose the magnitude of your significance. In other words, to fully show who you fully are. To fully display who you are. To represent all of who you are to the world. That's what it means to glorify. And he's praying, Father, glorify your son at this hour. Show the world right now at this hour. Show the world all of who I am. The fullest extent of who I am. Put it on display in this world. Glorify your son. The Father glorifies the Son by displaying the fullest extent of who Jesus was. Love. Love. When you think about someone being honored and glorified and exalted, what comes to mind? Maybe a statue being elevated. Maybe their jersey being put up on the rafters for people to remember. How was Jesus glorified? 
How did the Father glorify the Son? How did the Father fully display all of who Jesus was to this world? It was the cross of Jesus Christ. It was Calvary. What an upside, upside down way of how this world says that people should be glorified. You know how Christ was glorified? He went lower. He, he died. Instead of going higher, he went lower. You know, in this we learn a foundational kingdom principle and kingdom value that all of us seek to grow in, and that is humility. And what we can learn from here is that humility, it grows. Humility grows when Christ is glorified in our lives. When Christ is glorified in our lives. Matthew 23, 12, it says this. Whoever exalts himself, any of us here, whoever wants to advance ourselves, advance our name, put, take, take matters into our own hands, who want, whoever wants to exalt ourselves, will be humbled. And it says this, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Christ lived this out perfectly. How was Christ glorified? He humbled himself. Philippians 2 is that he humbled himself even to the point of death. He left the luxuries and the glory of heaven Perfect intimacy with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He left that. He became a human being. He not only became a human being, he became lower. He became a servant. He not only became a servant, he became a sacrifice. He became lower, lower, lower. That's how he was glorified. The cross was utter humiliation to the world. But it's foolishness and weakness to this world, isn't it? But to God's eyes, the cross is an instrument of glory. In God's eyes, the cross, death, is an instrument of glory. Calvary is God's grand plan for redemption. And Jesus is displayed here. He is glorified here. You see, for us, I'm going to read some scripture. Galatians 2.20. As disciples, we've heard this before. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And Apostle Paul, he says to himself, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When Jesus, our Savior and our Rabbi, commands and invites his disciples, us here, to follow him, he calls us to come and die. That the life of Christ may reign. When we read this prayer in John 17, this beginning of this prayer, how do we align our lives to it? Is this when we carry our crosses, when we die, when He increases and we decrease, when His life, His attributes, His will, 
His ways begin to reign more and more in our lives, begin to show more and more in our lives, He is glorified. Amen? And also, how about our prayer lives? This is where, when I was preparing, fellow human beings, (laughs) I felt conviction. In our prayer lives, this begs the question, when we pray, is prayer ultimately about me and my life, or is it about God? Is it about God? Are our prayers God-glorifying? Charles Spurgeon, he says this, Christ's motive should be ours. When you ask a blessing from God, ask it that you may glorify God by doing it. Do you pine to have your health back again? Be sure that you want to spend that health for Him. Do you desire temporal advancement in this world? Desire it that you may promote His glory. Do you even long for growth in grace? Ask it only that you may glorify Him. That puts a whole new perspective on suffering, doesn't it? Can we dare to align our prayer lives to pray such things as, Lord, yes, we pray, take this suffering away from my life. But if it's going to cause me to grow closer to you, let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. Can we pray that? Can we pray that? The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And then he prays, Since you have given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given. And this is, this is amazing. And Jesus says this, This is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This hour, this excruciating hour, what's it all for? What's the whole point? Jesus speaks to the Father right now and says this, The time has finally come that He could make a way for us to have eternal fellowship with Him. And let me just explain this real quick. Before creation was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Trinity, the Godhead, had perfect intimacy. Did you know that relationship was never created because God was never created? Did you know that relationship and intimacy and fellowship always existed because God always existed? Perfect fellowship and intimacy. Did you know that any desire in us to want to feel connection and belonging and intimacy in any, any platform here in this life, any of those desires and experiences, do you know why we feel that? Because we are made in God's image. Any desire for relationship and wholeness is because we are made in God's image. And here God is, witnessing sin on this earth. He sends His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who leaves perfect intimacy, who leaves perfect fellowship with the Trinity. And He becomes a man 
on this earth. He comes down. He humbles himself. And then he says, the hour has come. And he's looking toward heaven and he says, finally, the hour has come. It's time to go back home. I cannot wait to be reunited with you. With once what we had here in the, in the verse here, it says, Lord, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's excited for that. But here's the good news. The reason why he says this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, and that they may know me. It's not that he's just going back to reunite and go back home. No. The reason why he came is because he wants all of us to join in in that relationship with the Trinity. That's amazing. That's amazing. To know God is have a relationship with Him. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. And eternal life is not just about deliverance from hell. Eternal life is not just access into heaven. Jesus says here in this prayer, this is eternal life that they know Him. Intimacy. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and suffered and died and was mocked. So that you and I can go home with him for eternity. Homeward bound. But we know that the cross... Although the cross displayed the glory of Christ, it didn't end at the cross. Three days later, he was resurrected. Not only was he resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And to this day, even right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Home. And he's continually interceding for every single one of us here. He's interceding for you. He's interceding for me. He's interceding that we run this race well. He's interceding the very thing that Jesus wanted. When he prayed to the Father in John 17, he's interceding that we know him. That we have intimacy with him. This is the desire of his heart. This is the desire of his heart. And the reason why I feel like as, we're preparing, as I'm preparing this sermon that I have, you know, I feel for this church is in this time, as we're gathered together, as we're trying to get in rhythm again with meeting in person and whatnot, you know, anything can happen. There could be another corona breakout and we have to go back into Zoom and we can't meet like this anymore. Anything can happen. But my exhortation is this. Let us be the answer to his prayer in this season and forevermore. Whether we meet in person, whether we meet on Zoom, whatever is happening around us in the external, I want to encourage and challenge and plead every single one of us, church. He invites us to intimacy. He invites us to know him. That's why he came. That's why he came. 